Just watch me. It's so simple, you sissy Marys. Give me the playback and watch me fang it. Sounds like steam escaping. Action! Okay, oh, wait till I get out. Wait till I get out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Film Find. Oh boy, you are in for a fabulous episode today. Uh, oh my goodness. As, as If you could tell with this opening, we are going to be having a whole hell of a lot of fun today. Now, we could have gone out and review... Uh, first of all, I'm Adam Fortress and I'm here with... Matt Smith. Laura McCracker. And... Uh, we, we could have gone the way that everyone else seems to be going this week, which is to review the the two dude bro movies out there. We could re- be re- uh, reviewing uh, Fast, Fast and Furious 817 or The Hangover 3. And we've decided to go in the exact opposite way and review the gayest movie. The movie's so gay, Hollywood said we can't do this. Uh, we're going to be reviewing Steven Soderbergh's Behind the Candelabra today, his last motion picture uh, until hopefully he decides to unretire. But uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be doing that. We're going to do a little what you've been watching. Uh, we may even throw in a uh, kind of an IMDb movie review sort of thing. And um, yeah, who else knows? Then we're going to d- jump into that. But uh, we're going to take a little break right here and. Uh, Come back and do a little what you've been watching. Stay tuned. It's gonna be it's a it's a really interesting show, right, Laura? Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's over there picking at her nails, just going, "This is gonna be weird." All right, stay tuned, everybody. We're gonna be right back. Welcome back. We're going to jump into a little what you've been watching. Uh, we've been all pretty busy this week, but, um, you know, you get a chance every now and then to sneak in. Uh, I recently just uh, watched a, a movie that Matt talked about on the show a couple weeks ago, uh, Jack Reacher. 
uh, the new Tom Cruise movie, and uh, based based on the Jack uh, the Lee Child novels. And uh, I got to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was much more enjoyable than I thought it could possibly be. And really sitting back and thinking about it, it's like you know, I bet these books are fantastic because as much as as, as much as I like the movie, I'll, I'll bet the books were even better. And I talked to my dad about it, and he's read he's read all of uh, his books, all the Jack Reacher books, and uh, enjoys them quite a bit. So uh, I, I may I may end up reading. I know I got chided on last week's show for uh, quote unquote bragging that I didn't read, but that's not true. I do read every now and then, but not a lot of nonfiction, but or fiction rather. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was really good. What else did I watch? We watched, oh, I, I haven't been watching a ton of movies, but I did watch, uh, I started catching up again on Sherlock because of, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch being in, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness and enjoyed, uh, that, uh, it's a great series. If you, uh, if you haven't been, if you haven't watched, uh, Sherlock, you can catch the first two seasons on, uh, Netflix Watch Instant. They are, um... They're, they're great. They're only three episodes a, uh, a season, but the episodes are an hour and a half long, so you're getting a movie within each one. And, uh, you know, Martin Freeman, Benedict Cumberbatch, Stephen Moffat, what else do you really need to know about this? Then it's pretty fucking awesome. Uh, let's see. Also, because of Star Trek, I've been going back and watching some Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, mm-hmm. that was, uh, that's been pretty fun, just to see some of those episodes. And uh, let's see, and that's about it. And Doctor Who, that's that's about all, about all for me. Season uh, ending of Doctor Who, and uh, a lot of interesting questions that that raises, leading to the fiftieth. Now we got to wait till uh, November, and uh, that's no fun having to wait. But uh, all right, that's it for me, Laura. What have you been watching? Uh, I haven't been watching a lot because I've been really busy with my job. But before Netflix took it down, and I, honest to goodness, I didn't watch all of this because we were going to be talking about Behind the Candelabra. But I did go, I burned through season two of RuPaul's Drag Race for the umpteenth time because I really love that season. And uh, some of season three, but then it was taken down off of Netflix, unfortunately. Uh, and then Too I'll, much fabulousness. Well, it is wonderful. I do love that show. <laughs> I love RuPaul. I love drag queens. Uh, and then I watched Francois Ozon's Wheat Femme, Eight Women. Mm-hmm. I like that movie a lot. Very neat to watch it. A lot of gay references and old Hollywood references. And it's just, it was a way to really brush up on my French. I didn't watch it with subtitles, which made the songs a little confusing. But then I read up on them. Hmm. Yeah, it's a re- it's really weird. If you're not familiar with the movie, I give it, I re- wholeheartedly suggest it. Because it features so many amazing French actresses, such as, uh, obviously, I think everyone probably knows Catherine Deneuve but or Fanny Ardant but uh there are a lot of really good actors in there actresses I should say but it's it's really a classical whodunit with a little bit of a musical thrown in I mean if this were in English I would imagine it being a seriously campy cult classic in the vein of maybe Rocky Horror in a way hmm. yeah anything else I've kind of heard you watching Star Trek, but I would guess what the episode was before the. Uh, before yeah, this the- is what this nerd does. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll throw on, I'll throw on some uh, Netflix Watch Instant and throw some Star Trek on there, and she'll just be on the other side of the bed, and she just she'll hear the audio and just go, um, "That's this episode," and she goes through that, and she'll go through a lineage of the entire thing. Where the different episodes that are like this episode and other things like that. And I'm just like, can you shut up and let me watch this damn episode? Hey, you're the one that asked about the Maquis. No, I didn't. You did too. All right, anyway. 
You did too. I know something about it. But uh, yeah, and uh, we watched a little something today, or at least we tried to. Hmm. You got halfway. Uh, you we we started. Oh, we yes, went the over Prestige. Yeah, we went over to <laughs> Laura's mom's house, and uh, the Prestige is on IFC. And uh, so th- they they sat down about halfway through it and tried to watch it, and it's like that doesn't really work with that movie. Prestige is not exactly a, uh, let's just plop down in and try to figure out the plot of this sucker. Oh, and I did watch the first few minutes of the first episode of Arrested Development, the new season, before I was uh, dragged to the podcast. Oh, so so horrid, this podcast. But uh, <laughs> what, do, what, do you th- what do you think so far? So far, I'm enjoying it, but as I said, it's only like the, f- the first itty-bitty bit. Well, that's all that counts, right? Matt, are you watching any of these Arrested Development whatnots? I, I will be. Uh, I haven't yet. I've been trying to catch up on some watching for a series that I'm writing for my website. All right, well, we'll delve into what I'll, you're watching. So uh, jump, jump right into that. What, what are you? What are you writing? About? I know what you're writing about, but and it's and it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, let it's let funny. our let our audience know what what you're writing about and where they can find um, this writing. Yeah, so my website is thesplitscreen.wordpress.com. And uh, I'm currently going through the complete Val Kilmography. Uh, I love that 2003 you that to 2012. Yeah, I, I enjoy it <laughs> as well. Um, but only 2003, 2012. So if you guys are really upset that I'm not writing about Tombstone, I'm sorry in advance. Um, I, I like Tombstone, nothing against it. But I, I haven't seen a lot of Kilmer's work in that decade. And he, he made some like 40-odd movies, like almost 50 um, three of which co-star 50 Cent. Can't wait to get into those. Um, hey, Curtis no, I'm, Jackson I'm actually, is an under... No, that's... I can't even I'm say actually it. Really, I'm actually really serious. I can't wait to get into this. <laughs> but, but so that's what I've been doing. Uh, so recently I've watched Masked and Anonymous, which is uh, Larry Charles, who directed um, the Sasha Baron Cohen films and Religious, the Bill Maher documentary. Um, it's, it's like his first feature film uh, about Bob Dylan uh, playing Bob Dylan, sort of. But oh. it's actually kind of terrible. I remember hearing um, about that movie. Uh, good concept, awful execution. And uh, I recently sat down and rewatched The Missing, the Ron Howard reworking of The Searchers uh, now, I from remember like 2003. That. Yeah, I actually enjoyed it a lot this time when I watched it. It was it was weird. Like I got into some kind of mindset that just allowed me to go with it, and I, I, I found it compelling. Um, but aside from the Val Kilmer stuff, um, which everyone can keep up with, I update twice a week. Uh, I have to, otherwise it would take me far longer than the summer, which is my goal set for this, uh, my goal set for this time. Um, but other than that, I, I went to see a court, which, what, according to the title card is called furious six. <laughs> um, and it was kind of glorious. I'm not even, I have no apologies uh, I don't even have reasons, really, um, <laughs> why it was so good. But uh, there's like this level of ridiculousness that that series is at now that by taking itself so seriously, it's it's almost like a badge of honor that this is like just this ridiculous thing that exists and makes a just a shit ton of money. 
and it has nothing to do with superheroes. It's all about these bros who bro out and like ride in their cars really fast. Um, and it's got the rock and I like that guy. Good question. You're talking about the Val Kilmography, which I do like that term. Does this also include, I can't remember the name of this movie, so maybe you can help me out, but I remember watching this a few years ago, so I think it might be in this time frame that you're writing about, um, where Val Kilmer and some other folks are on this island and they're doing some sort of training, but someone is killing all of them one by one. And I just are you rem- talk- talking about, uh, my- is it Mind Hunters? Maybe. I just remember that Anuk Moon from the Mummy movies was in it, and she dies because she has to have a cigarette, and someone laced her cigarette with something, so she starts bleeding or something. Do you know what I'm yes, talking about? Yes, that's that movie. That oh, okay. Is, that's Mind Hunters. It's from, like, 2004. It's coming up soon. Coming okay, up good. Soon in, I my, was, <laughs> in my series. I just, I don't know why I'm talking about Valkyrie. I'm like, I remember this movie, but I don't remember the name of it, and I didn't see all of it, but I just remembered Anuk Moon. I don't even know her name. But I just remember well, that's all she's really known for is the next cinnamon from the yeah, movie that, movies. That movie is pretty bad, but I will be rewatching it. That's the thing. I'm not just wa- I'm not just writing about things I've already seen from those years either. I'm literally sitting down and watching every piece of garbage. Especially you, poor that bastard. Val Kilmer was in, uh, and I, I'll end up having to actually sit through Delgo uh, in, a oh, few, in a few weeks. I so that movie. Good time there you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what I've been watching. Uh, I give I give uh, Furious Six, by the way, thumbs up. I know I can't say that because it's trademark, but uh, that guy's dead, so thumbs up. Both are dead. It's all, it's free game, right? <laughs> USA, I guess. USA. Uh, I, I may I'm actually see that tomorrow. It's like the uh, like the Indian Pepsi Cola, the thumbs up. That's what I'm giving it. Yeah, there you go. One Indian Pepsi Cola. Boo. <laughs> I, my Indian's crying a tear for that metaphor. <laughs> Not Native Americans, actual Indians. Oh, Indian Indian. <laughs> yeah, Indian. What was the... Was it The Simpsons or something? It's like, not the, oh, but the... Uh, uh, point to the dot in the head. It's like so awful. Just yeah, like The think... Simpsons. <gasps> oh, yeah. You're smart ass and you're wrong. Anyways. <laughs> All right. That is it for what we've been watching. We're going to take a little break right now, and uh, we're going to be back. We're, we're going to play this IMDb game again. This time, mm-hmm. I think we're going to go a little bit different this time. So uh, stay tuned, everybody.
everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to be doing the IMDb game again. Uh, this time we're going to do a little bit of a twist on it, but uh, let's go ahead and get that uh, go ahead and get that intro out of the way. It's that time again to play the game that proves how awesome and totally lame all internet trolls are. Let's play Name That Bad IMDb Review. Oh, I, lo- I don't know why I like that. I enjoy it. <laughs> Anyways. All right. So this week we're actually doing something a little different because last week Laura suggested something. Now, originally the idea of this game is we're gonna take, we were going to take beloved movies, just great stuff that it seems that everybody always likes, and uh, read a terrible IMDb review about that movie and try to – taking out all the important stuff, and then everyone else try to guess that movie. Uh, this week we're going to go in the opposite direction. A movie that pretty much everyone thinks is absolutely terrible, but yet someone on uh, IMDb rated uh, usually full ten stars. Uh, Laura, I'm fairly, I'm almost ninety nine percent sure you've seen this movie. Matt, I would put it maybe a seventy five. So, uh, have you seen this movie? I have not, okay. nor would I want to. And that's... that doesn't narrow it down at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so this one is uh, from a guy named uh, Gig Math Two. He rates it. Uh, looks great like name. ten stars. The title of it is brilliant. Okay, an absolutely brilliant and ingenious comedy. I'm puzzled to why this movie receives such average reviews. Average is actually being nice. I think I never listen to critics anyway. This film has so many angles. It's a fish out of water story with the hero in New York, a spoof of a punk rock genre. This damsel in, there's damsels in distress theme, a hilarious cameo. Uh, let's see, and I don't want to. It's like I laughed myself silly. This flick is raunchily entertaining, but you need to experience, but you need to be appreciative of the main title character, his his sense of humor. I didn't get to uh, redact all this properly, <laughs> which which of course is acquired taste. History will be kind to this man, I think. Uh, da, 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 now for a true rate, now for a true make of Mad Mad. This guy wants to remake Mad 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 World with uh, with with the lead guy of this. Um, I'll give I'll give you a hint. It um it, it takes place partially in hell. Oh, little Nicky! <laughs> ding ding! Correct, sir. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> Ten steps. Ten stars. Uh, well, I mean, Popeye's chicken is in fact the shiznit. So, oh man, there's that. All right. Well, that was uh, that game was much quicker than I thought it was going to be. A punk rock thing. I was sitting here trying to think of like any. Uh, really, I was thinking Saturday Night Live movies. Okay, because normally when you say something like, "I oh, know you've seen it," in comedy. I don't know. All right. It's a Saturday Night Live inspired film. And that was my next clue if nobody got anything was like a it's snl cast kind of thing mm-hmm. but uh all right that is that, it not really punk though that guy should probably also rethink his uh like knowledge of music yeah hey man <laughs> link 182 is some of the hardest core punk you've ever fucking heard and i did see this movie i just uh, I that was one of those it, here's an interesting fact about the movie because a lot of people watch it and they just go adam sandler sounds like really really weird but what they had to do was the voice he was doing on set when they got back and were and they were doing the editing and everything was so no one could understand a fucking word he was saying. They tested it out with audiences. Audiences were like, 
I don't even know what he's saying. So they had to go and do ADR for every single one of his lines in the entire movie so they could change his voice to something that people could actually understand. And it still kind of confused a lot of people just going, what is that weird fucking voice he is doing? Mm. But uh, I'm not going to see this movie. I don't care. Whatever. Um, so I will is- I will give it a positive review right now. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You, uh, here, here's my positive review. At least it's not Grown Ups. Oh, oh, I couldn't even finish that. <laughs> I mean, that's but guys, they're making a Grown Ups too, so that means Grown Ups one was good. I'll tell you exactly where I stopped in that movie, and I said, "Fuck this," you know. <laughs> I it, I was watching it, you know, and I'm kind of stoked because I I do I did grow up watching Saturday Night Live and watching Adam Sandler and Chris. Um, I was gonna say yeah, Chris Farley, but he wasn't in that movie, obviously. Chris Rock, Adam, um, David Spade, all of them. I'm I I loved them. As a kid and watching them in movies and stuff. But now their current films haven't been so hot. So I was watching this movie thinking maybe that it might be good. And it's the scene where I guess they're all in a restaurant or something. Or maybe they're not in a restaurant. They're out some... I don't know. Anyway, Maria Bello, I think, has to give some... Or or someone... One of the wives has to breastfeed Mm -hmm. her older child. And I think at that point... And I think at that point I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. I don't think I can enjoy this. And you I gotta even, get on the movie. I couldn't even. Was that ever said? I don't, I, I don't know. Get I don't on know. The Probably. I don't know. I just was like, why am I? Why <laughs> am I that kid's getting a free lunch. I was thinking, why am I wasting my time? I could be watching something better. And I just stopped and took it out of my Netflix queue. All right. Well, yeah. that is it for this game. We may go back to the original ones, or I may just try to pick something. I don't know. Anyways, that is it. Let's play an outro. All right, that's fun. Anyways, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to come back, and we're going to jump into our review of Steven Soderbergh's final cinematic work, Behind the Candelabra. I don't know why I gave it a weird sort of Latin flair. <laughs> There's no reason for that. But, you uh, it's a horror film. It's a horror film. It, very of much. sorts. <laughs> all right. We'll be back, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, today we are going to, like I said, we're going to be doing the opposite of all the bro reviews. We're going to the gayest movie Hollywood has made in the last couple of years, according to Hollywood, essentially, because they decided we do not want this. This movie is, quote unquote, too gay. And um, at least according to what Soderbergh says. Yeah. Well, and you his know, experience pitching it. And I can see. Yes, I can understand some of it. I don't think it's too gay. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, let's play the uh, trailer for the movie we are reviewing this week, Steven Soderbergh's final film, Behind the Candelabra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Liberace! This is my friend, Scott Thorson. You are incredible out there. Well, this must be fate. I have a great idea. Why don't you come work for me? 
as what? I want to be everything to you, Scott. I want to be father, brother, lover, best friend. I'll do whatever you want. I want you to make Scott look like this. You will make me feel so young. Why would a grown man want to adopt another grown man? So we can be family. All I do is give and give and give. I can't live like this. You're being paranoid, Scott. Are you stoned? I'm not. I'm upset. Don't change the subject. I don't even have my own face. That was the trailer for Behind the Candelabra, the last uh, movie directed by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, this movie was written by Richard Lagreb. It's, it's a French thing. I probably should have you pronounce that, Laura. Uh, ba- based on the book by, I uh, thought, Scott Thorfelson? Thorson. 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 There's an F in there. I thought his name was just Thorson. I don't know. There's an F in his name in the IMDb thing. So. Maybe is it is it Scott F. Thorson? Like no. Paul F. Tompkins? Thorfelson. Thorful, uh, I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know. It's based upon his autobiography about his uh, life living with Liberace. Um, IMDb uh, talks about this based on the autobiographical novel by the temptuous six-year relationship between Liberace and his much younger lover, Scott Thorson. Well, why is it fucking IMDb's got what? a goddamn miss? IMDb is wrong on something. I know. It's holy oh shit. Someone, please on, call the internet flash. police. Call the internet police right now. <laughs> we the cyber police, they're backtracing it. <laughs> they're <Yeah>. backtracing <laughs> This is why IMDb's banned in China. You done goofed, son. <laughs> you done goofed. Um, let's, uh, before we jump into this, um, let's, let's talk about uh, how, well, how sad is this that this is Steven Soderbergh's last film and it's, uh, on the big screen everywhere else in the world except for the United States. Um, so sad as shit. Essentially. To put it very bluntly, like Soderbergh's one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, loved him for years. And uh, he always does something a little different. And just the fact, like, I, I'd say bravo to HBO for having the balls to, like, put it out there. Um, but it's such a shame that this, this guy couldn't get this film released, um, with this cast. Yeah. Yeah. There in, were a lot a of theater. people in this movie. Yeah. I mean, just, just even on Mike, I mean, even if you discount the other people that were in it, just off of Mike Douglas, uh, Michael Douglas, Mike Douglas, I say it like he's my buddy, <laughs> just off of Michael Douglas and, and Matt Damon alone headlining your film. They're like, no, we can't do this, and and supposedly, according to uh, to Soderbergh, was you know everybody's everyone in Hollywood thought this is too gay, but really, at the end of the, now, there's a lot of creepy shit in this movie, and we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. But 
is this really that gay of a movie? I don't think so. I don't think so compared not, to not other like, movies. Not as like uh, aggressively like, you know, in your face kind of, you know, there's only like maybe one or two kind of simulated sex type stuff. And the rest of the thing is a lot of, there's there's some, you know, kissing but and whatnot, but there's nothing that's... implied. Yeah, there's a, but you don't really, it, it didn't seem super, super gay to me as far as like, you know, overtones that would seem to make everyone... You know, in like probably middle America would be yeah. a little bit, but for the most part, the kind of art house crowd wouldn't be like, "Oh my lord, I can't even believe." Yeah, they the people went to who would level. actually show up to see this at a theater, no, no way. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say it's half, like half as gay as most John Waters films. Yeah, John Waters or even yeah. Brokeback Mountain, Boys Don't Cry. I, I didn't it's, think that it's this not was even that as gay. gay as Magic Mike and Soderbergh that got that released in theaters. Yeah, I have to admit I haven't seen that one yet. It's it's really good. <laughs> it's, it's really good, but I think it's like as as far as like gay content. Oh, like, it's like more like kind of uncomfortable gayness that you just yeah. the, uh, unintentionally uh, gay. It's but if you were to lot. replace. Either my uh, Mike Douglas, see now you got me calling Mike Douglas, Michael Douglas, or Matt Damon with a woman. That would just Matt be like Douglas, a, the first white man to get me moist. Anyway, no, it just uh, <laughs> it would be a normal movie. It wouldn't be even rated R, I would think, because I mean you just see what a little bit of butt, nothing, nothing more. Yeah, a couple of Damon ass shots. Yeah, and one one or two Michael Douglas ass shots too, which harkens back to his uh, like late eighties, early nineties roles. When he was, I think, contractually obligated to show his ass in every That's film. true. You, you, you gotta, you gotta show the duckless ass. So I don't, I don't see the point of this is too gay unless they're saying like too stereotypically gay with you know all the queen references, like you know you're an old queen, old queen, and then fabulousness. I guess yeah. you could say, but I don't think it's too. I don't think it's too gay. I think, I think that, it, I think that where the studios were probably coming from it um, was like they don't know, like the. Studios, obviously, it, like think. they have no no fucking idea. Like, who's the audience for this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 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 if you were a studio exec, would you ever imagine that, like, some uh, like fucking dude in his late twenties, early thirties, is going to sit down on a uh, on a weekend and watch a fucking movie about Liberace and his uh, live-in twenty-year-old gay lover? I, like, no, <laughs> like I wouldn't imagine that as a suit. You no. Know? Like, you don't understand the thirty-year-olds, thirty-year-old men coming to see this film. They really love it. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, uh, guy from the forties. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, they're, they're the ones in charge now. By the way. They are. <laughs> they are. They're still from the forties. They are one hundred eighty-four years old, <laughs> and they know what they like and they know what they don't like, and they don't like this. Um, essentially, what this movie is about is it's kind of towards not not towards the end end of Liberace's career, but fairly well into his career in the nineteen uh, eighties, and he meets meets a uh, a young boy from California named Scott who is introduced to him Scott? by uh, Scott Bayo of all people. Scott, no, uh, not Scott Bayo, Scott, Scott Bakula. Bakula. I'm sorry, I got Scott's confused. There's a lot of Scots rolling around here. Okay, Ziggy he is very disappointed this in your body. <laughs> All right, so that he could save Matt, Matt. Damon, Scott Thorson, <laughs> save <Matt. his> from <laughs> certain doom. You and There's I were on the same wavelength. I was going for a Ziggy joke. You were doing the leapings. <laughs> 
own. Scott Bayo, I'm sorry. I misspoke. And I, I, I Bacula kind of is way cuter anyway. So it, This movie would indeed. have been 100% more gay if Scott Oh, Bayo if Scout Bacula was in the Or <laughs> Scott Bayo? Bacula. But Bayo, See, I can't yes. even I can't even get it right. I'm just going to stop with saying names. That should be a new Bacula game, Bayo or Bacula. Bayo or Bacula. Who would do it better? Um, but yeah, so he kind of introduces uh, this uh, Matt Damon's character Scott to uh, to Liberace, and um, you know it, it's kind of uh, what what we come to find out is sort of a recurring theme in Liberace's career is getting these young men and bringing them in and kind of molding them and shaping them uh, sometimes to an actual molding and shaping of people. So he brings he brings Scott along and just kind of hires him out of nowhere and you know it's it's creepy the entire fucking time. Liberace like the way Douglas plays Liberace is fantastic because almost everything he says just sounds, you know, super manipulative. It, it's manipulative but at the same time it's like it's slightly in, endearing so you could see why this character would want to kind of you know, be talked to like that, mm-hmm. but you can just, you hear that kind of manipulative, just kind of let tr- you do a great impression. of it we were well, doing I, I during it the break. From, I think it also seems to come from a place of genuine feeling though, as well, which is what I like about the performance, mm-hmm. right? Like, like it does have that manipulative aspect, but it seems to be like also Liberace really is into this guy. Um, and, and the way that Michael Douglas plays him gives off those vibes simultaneously. And that's what I kind of really like about it is like, it's, it's actually like a really brilliant performance, um, in, in that regard, actually. Yeah. It's a lot like the, a lot like I kind of, I kind of liken it a little bit to like the Joker where, you know, the Joker, it's, it's what he's doing. He believes is, you know, the right thing. And, you know, Batman, all of (laughs) All of his intentions are 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 quote unquote good, but I want to be your mother and father, Batman. Sorry, I, I know they're dead. <laughs> In Tim Burton's version, I killed them. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be doing horrible but, Michael Douglas's Liberace impression. Um, let's talk about that. But yeah, so he he adopts him. He like he brings him along, and like this is like this is one of the more creepy parts of this story. And and I'd, I'd heard about this a couple of years ago before before the movie was even uh, announced. But uh, one of Liberace's things was is like he got this guy, and not only did he just you know make him into the person that he kind of wanted to be, he literally made him into the person he wanted to be by taking and just in saying, hey. Make this guy look exactly like I did, you know, 30 years ago, which is one of the creepiest fucking things I've ever heard of with someone like, I want to express my love. I want to make you look like me. So you're, you know, when you go to kiss this person, you're kissing yourself. It is a weird kind of self love and self kind of. Well, did you look at that fabulous house and those big paintings of him? It of was course, just, he's very narcissistic. But it is, I don't know, like, to me, that was always one of the most creepy elements of this story, and uh, yeah, they and certainly pull, pull it off well. I had to admit, as I was watching it, I was like, I have to remember that this is written by a dude who was obviously burned by Liberace, so there's going to be some some bias in there, but I did... There's some, but, like, from what I understand, like, you know, he really considered himself, you know, very much in love with this man, and decided that, you know, while at the end it wasn't good, he does say, you know throughout the time that they were together that, you know, he was actually, you know, a hundred percent in love with them. So, 
Yeah, but I mean, it, I would say it does put him in a more positive light, even by the end of the movie where it says Scott Thorson now lives in R- Reno, Nevada. They kind of leave out the part that he's actually in jail. So I, I he resides there. He's not going nowhere. <laughs> yeah, but I find I find that interesting. But I did I took the technicalities. I took the movie. I have to admit, I kind of forgot about Liberace before this announced. I mean, I always knew of Liberace. Liberace died when we were kids. I don't think I ever thought of him as someone who's gay. I think that was before I even understood the concept of homosexuality. It's one of those things that it really is interesting when you look back and it's one of those, how did you people not know this man was gay? Right. Well, and there's kind of that comment at the, like the first scene when the, when uh, Bob and uh, Scott go to the club to like the, the venue to see Liberace perform the first time. Um, and uh, he mentions to Scott, you know, none of these people know that he's gay. And Scott's just, like, taken aback. Like, how? You know? Yeah. Like, uh, like I've always been fascinated by that. Like, how would you not know this guy was was gay? Just as like, big how, confirmed how the bachelor until, like, you know, all the way into his 40s and 50s. And it's like, really? It's just never, just never found the right girl. Well, not, not only that, but I mean, for for fuck's sake, you know, into the furs and the sequins and the elaborate stage productions and. Well, I mean, uh, you could like turn his, that around his... on Elvis. Elvis wore like some no, sequiny shit. But you know where Elvis got that from? Liberace. Oh, for real? Yeah, he, he absolutely like <laughs> I didn't he know saw that. Liberace's was... giant showmanship and said, "I'm doing that." Yeah, that was that was so. So Elvis was like. He he always had that element of sparkliness, right? But there's there's like something very old country western singer songwriter about that, right? Like in the in the fifties and sixties, they wore like the the bejeweled shit, All the rhinestone um, cowboy. I mean, yeah, it's... the rhinestones. But uh, but when he got into his Vegas era, like the Vegas era Elvis is Liberace inspired. Elvis, like, all so the giant jumpsuits with all the yeah. crazy shit on it. Like he actually, I think he met Liberace and, you know, and a lot of those things. And the story that Liberace tells within the movie itself is, is actually a really interesting thing. He talks about how he was at the Hollywood bowl and, you know, it's this giant outdoor amphitheater and there's a black piano and normally, you know, concert pianists are all in a black tuxedo. And it's like, well, black, black tuxedo, black piano. How is everybody going to see me? You know, and of course, being the narcissistic guy he is, that's the number one thing on his mind is not, hey, I hope everyone enjoys my music. Is like, how can they not see me? So he decides to put on all of this shit and it totally works. You know, I mean, you can, you are able to see, oh, there is the guy that is on stage at this point. You know, you, so his flamboyancy, you know, was for a purpose and, you know, other than just being fabulous, which, you know, he clearly did, but, um, I, I thought that was real interesting mm-hmm. uh, bit of trivia woven yeah. into the story. Yeah, and there there are moments like that where you where you can also like that moment is one way right w- with which he could explain to audiences like why things are as fabulous as they are right like so they wouldn't suspect that he's totally gay. Yeah, they, right? they just look and go, oh, well, <clears throat> that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Anyway, uh, can can we talk about the plastic surgery just a little bit? Because that is one of the best parts of the film, oh, and the, it's because the cutting and stuff. The well, actual like, surgery itself. 
all of that stuff's good, but but no, it's great because it introduces Doctor Jack Starts, who is played literally. amazingly by yes, it is he is literally played by Rob Lowe, and is fantastic. I don't know what they did to that man's face, but it is hilarious. There he was there was some interview where he was talking about it and um like he was talking about how painful it was to be in that makeup because they were like like taping him back with like scotch tape and all this other shit to make his face that tight. Like Joan, it could... looks a lot Joan Rivers esque, yeah. man. Yeah, there's a scene yeah. where there's a close up of his face as he's you know working, you know, cutting into flesh with scalpel, and you can tell he can't close his eyes all the way as he's focusing. He just looks so high in every. It's a great performance <laughs> because he just he looks like he's always and because he becomes you know a drug peddler you know to his you know clients and stuff. He just, he still looks like I am the most stoned out of my mind doctor, but yet. I have the most fabulous hair. Seems to be really good at what he does, (laughs) despite being, you know, tore up. But uh, overall, like a a great performance from him, a great performance from pretty much everybody in this. Now, go ahead. Before we move off of Rob Lowe, and and I'm totally with this, uh, Patton Oswalt tweeted. um, He was was like live tweeting. The oh, premiere. I miss that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I have been off Twitter for a little bit because I forgot. <laughs> Fuck. One of, the, one of the tweets he put out was uh, it was like halfway through the film. He goes, "HBO, can we please get a Doctor Jack Start spinoff series?" <laughs> and I think that's a brilliant idea. And that I is just wanna, literally. I just also want to throw that idea. I want to put our weight behind that. So if HBO is listening, Patton Oswalt's on to something. Give him a little bit of cash and then get Rob Lowe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're talking Literally about comedian stuff, though, because I, I don't know. It, Adam, you've kind of heard it. You've listened to it with me before, but there's a, uh, a podcast called Comedy Bang Bang. And on the show, sometimes they have uh, actor Seth Morris. He's a comedian as well. But he plays mm-hmm. a character called Bob Duca. Adam, do you remember the Bob Duca character? He always talks. He's Scott Ackerman. He's plays Scott Ackerman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scat. The way he said, the way he spoke, or uh, Michael Douglas as Liberace and beyond the candelabra, the way he would just say scat, scat. I mean, always made me think of. <laughs> seriously, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up Seth Morris and Bob Duca, and it is one of the funniest characters on that podcast. It's hilarious, but just the, it, it was the same voice, scat, scat. It's all I could think of. Sorry. Now I want to talk about this real quick because it's something that that bothered me in a touch. Now, Matt, did you watch this kind of uh, more or less live on uh, HBO? I did. I did not. I watched it um, on demand the day after okay. because I was working Sunday night. Now I ended up. I kind of did basically the same thing. Now I don't know if this is. There's there's probably a lot of elements that go into this. Now Steven Soderbergh has uh, is quite well known. Uh, for being a great cinematographer. He's pretty much been his cinematographer his past couple of films, not credited as himself, of course. Um, but the man knows what the hell he's doing. All the way mm-hmm. back from the film stuff, listen to the um, uh, the traffic criterion uh, commentary. Uh, it's, it's really great. And you listen to the guy, he talks about all the different filters and stuff that he uses. It's like the dude really does know his shit all the way back to the you know actual film element and stuff. And he's obviously embraced digital in a big bad way in the past you know a couple of years but um 
there were several points in this where it just it didn't have that kind of Soderbergh patina on it that I really wanted, and I think that could probably be a lot of elements from you know how HBO then streams out the stuff, what they what they're putting things out in, you know, obviously was probably shot in 24p. I, I want to see this on Blu-ray because I I'm putting money on that it's better looking than it ended up being on TV. Honestly, like all that what you're pointing out, I didn't really notice. But the thing that stood out to me, and I commented on it as we were watching it, when um, Liberace's dying and he's seeing Scott Thorson for the last time, I thought that he looked weird. That this, something just didn't look right to me. Something just made it look funny. And I know he's supposed to be sick and not have much color to his face because he's he's dying from complications from AIDS. But still, something didn't look right. It looked kind of cheesy to me. Am I was I alone in this? No, I mean it. It did in a way. It looked it looked like they went through and just kind of keyed him and did some color uh, desaturation yeah. on his face and whatnot. Uh, may, maybe a little much, but I I, I don't know. I, I don't have much uh, experience in you know seeing people that are on their deathbed, especially you know from AIDS. So I I, I couldn't tell you if that's a, an accurate depiction or not. So I, I do not know. Yeah, I can't say that I noticed any really big discrepancies um, visually. Um, I just some of it was kind of like just maybe maybe it was like slight frame rate type stuff, and I think there's a whole I, and I can get super nerdy on it. And I, I don't want to kind of bore people with that because it, it's it's you get into a lot of numbers from you know. Going from 24p to 30 frame, 20 frame, 24 frames a second to uh, 30 frames a second, and then busting that up to 60 or even 124, depending upon your TV, and then creating frames where frames don't exist, the three two pull down, all this kind of fucking really nerdy fucking technical shit. But I, I, I would, I'd put money on that it probably looked better. It'll look better on like Blu-ray or something, but. The camera, yeah, think, camera moves and stuff. Everything right. was like really good. I mean, I, I love. There's a lot of very dynamic camera work in this that mm-hmm. you know you, you wouldn't get from anybody else. I don't think. Well, and and some really uh, some really brilliant editing. Like going back to the like what Laura thought I was going to talk about with the with the surgical scenes, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like there's some really clever editing around that sequence of events, right? Like where he's going back and forth between Scott's surgery and his performance with Liberace on stage and just a lot of stuff going on um, that's handled and edited very well um, in a very short space of time. But also like the one, the one thing that, that Soderbergh does really well and he's always done really well is even when he is using these very fast cut scenes, right? Uh, he will also allow substantial amounts of room for just like development of character and space. And uh, he's, I don't know. He's, he's just got a really good sense for how long something should take, I think, and how it should be constructed. And I think that's what I'm going to miss the most is I really do think he, as far as film form is concerned, he is probably the one American filmmaker who I can say has like mastered form and it, over it's, content. Yeah. It's, it's so sad to see, to see this guy go. And um, I mean, th- this was a good movie. I kind of I wish this had been just before side effects because I, I, I think I like side effects better. 
but uh and that's all personal preference but um yeah it's it's a, it's a shame to be to see this guy go a guy that could just do you know the most personal of personal films the shit that no one fucking cared about or you know i mean look at things like bubble and the girlfriend experience i mean those aren't great films but you know what they're interested schizopolis especially but the these are uh you know it, it's what he kind of wanted to do and he did what he did and then like he would do things for you know giant you know he would do like the oceans movies and they would be fucking fantastic and you know to see someone that can bounce back and forth between both worlds and handle both things with the exact same amount of a plum with each is like is is fucking almost unheard of yeah and the fact that he could pull that off it's it's i i really hope that he maybe takes five eight ten years off and then kind of comes back maybe reinvigorated and has 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 maybe he'll he'll have a story to tell because like, like we said on our previous podcast where we talked about him ending his film career is that he is a guy who doesn't really He's not he's not a writer director. He's a guy who, you know, gets something, grabs a hold onto it and then develops it and whatnot for himself. And yeah. uh he so he's kind of like at a point where he's just like, Well, I don't really have anything else I kinda wanna do. So maybe I, I, I'm hoping that he'll take some time off and then maybe perhaps he'll even have a story of his own to tell. Because I don't I can't really remember. Has he done anything I I know nothing's been as personal since Schizopolis, but has there been anything else that I, I can't really recall. I know he collaborates a lot with with his screenwriters, but um, yeah, I don't think so. But you know, so maybe maybe he'll have a little something to say once I, he gets around you know fifty five, sixty, something like that. Yeah. Well, um, bef- before we leave uh, behind the candelabra and Soderbergh, though, um, I want to I want to end on for me like just a couple of things. Um, like the the performance pieces in Behind the Candelabra, all of the music numbers, mm-hmm. they're great. Like they're they're shot really well, and uh, like Michael Douglas really is kind of magnetic in them. Um, and like you really can't take your eyes off of Michael Douglas as Liberace during those scenes. Um, very and I commanding. Think that's something, yeah, I think that's something that's very special. Um, the other thing uh, that has nothing to do with Behind the Candelabra, but everything to do with Steven Soderbergh, is if you are not following this motherfucker on Twitter, <laughs> you need to do so. Uh, his his uh, handle is at Bituation, and uh, the only person he follows is, of course, uh, Jules Asner, so he will not follow you back. <laughs> but um, he has recently, over the past month, been been tweeting an experimental novel and he's like 25 chapters in and it's amazing and and it's all like tweets of like just shit that's happening to these characters who are maybe the same characters as in other chapters and uh pictures from from like instagram and twitpic and stuff like that so uh yeah i read like follow, three follow chapters in that situation like what? what yeah, that guy's this? crazy and awesome. At Bituation, follow that guy. Be interesting to see what he does. <laughs> Laura, I want to talk to you real quick uh, because mm. you mentioned it while we were watching it. Um, uh, you are uh, quite quite the makeup lady. Tell us what you thought about the makeup in the film. Oh, I 
was just noticing all the different... I, I commented on it because I, I could see like little differences in makeup to make them look a bit more feminine. And the big one on Michael Douglas that stuck out to me, and I'm sorry, this sounds so dirty, is his eyelashes. His eyelashes were so curled and long and it, it just it's amazing to me how like curled long lashes on a guy can really make him look feminine you know and if you were wanting to judge on looks which i would i should i say you shouldn't do i mean because you know not everyone. but we all do no you can't, but the makes him look gay you know and i was i was loving the makeup look on <laughs> on roblo that's the super high cheekbones and that the tan yeah, i was about to say the really like crazy looking tan and whatnot and uh but I, I thought like yeah all the makeup was actually really interesting uh especially like with what they did with uh matt damon i and- didn't think that he didn't look too super plastic surgery if that makes any sense like i could see where they had done work on his cheeks or something but it didn't i don't know i thought he would look more like a freak than what they made him look like no i was like and, but you don't want to go too far beyond yeah, that then it because would be crazy because you're looking at him and you're just going well this is all kind of fucked up but you want you want it to be it was just subtle enough that like if you really did kind of look at it the chin was a big thing and, mm-hmm. and the nose and whatnot and uh just the different makeups they had like even in like the different performances and stuff where he comes in as the you know the driver and whatnot and you know very uh very kind of uh, Nutcracker, Soldier Boy-esque sort of thing going on. Yeah, okay, yeah, Nutcracker realness, that's yeah. what I would say. <laughs> that had a little Nutcracker realness to it. Well, that's... <laughs> that what you Well, no, just... Nutcracker realness up in this mother. Well, you know what that is, right? That's track terms. Realness. I don't know what that is. He's serving... He's serving... He's serving up Nutcracker some... realness. Literally. <laughs> Literally, nutcracker literally. realness. Nutcracker literally. Realness. <laughs> oh, Liberace, you literally look better. But yeah, I would... Uh... And Perkins. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, so if, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen this, it's available on uh, HBO On Demand right now. And uh, it's... Uh, I don't... I, I, stutter, I, I, I stopped to say, you know, it's a fitting tribute to Steven Soderbergh's career, to the end of his career, but I really think that that's, that's side effects if you, if you want my true opinion on it. Um, well, I, I, think, I think it manages to do... It's good. Like I'm not a, saying it's like not. A, a, but, but as a companion, like if you were to think of side effects as one type of Soderbergh film and Behind the Candelabra as another type, I think together... It rounds his career out pretty nicely. You know, that's uh, congratulations, sir, because that's that's a, that's a very <laughs> astute uh, point. That it's they, they are very much kind of it, it not a hundred percent, but very closely encapsulates his kind of career that he's that he's had for for lo these many years. But uh, all right, so uh, wh- what do you what do you rate this movie, there, Laura? I liked it a lot. A little, a little campy. But I, I dug it. I'd say, uh, what? No, I can't say two thumbs up, but how about... You can give it a letter grade, a star grade. What do you want? Um, two brofists. Two <laughs> <laughs> You know, you fists in this, in this review. I know. I just... I love how you're picking up on that, Captain Obvious. Anyway. Alrighty. Well. Take it. It'll, it'll last better. It'll feel better. <laughs> Sorry. I can't. I'm going to have to... Uh, Voices. Oh, it's too, is it is creepy. Shit ever. What's your What's your final 
Adam? Uh, I'm going to go... I, I get this a nice uh, solid four out of five stars on this. Uh, I, I enjoyed it probably actually a lot more than I thought I would. I thought it was going to be... Uh, I thought it was going to be pretty decent, but ended up kind of liking it more as... Uh, like I said, it's it's a really good character study from, from both angles of Liberace and from Scott. And uh, to see where both of these people were and... Um, it's a bit of history that not a ton of people truly know about, and I, I, and, I think it's interesting for and people. And how to, sad it was, like for for gay performers back then to keep it under wraps. Basically, you can't admit that you're gay. You have to be quiet about it because you know if anyone knew, especially for Liberace, he would have lost so many fans. I mean, didn't the closest thing I could think of is when I think Clay Aiken admitted he was gay, and a lot of like moms who were absolutely in love with him lose their shit. Didn't they? I want to say yeah. they did. Yeah. I love. I would put it, it on I that say it was, same. But that's the same thing. It How did you same. not know that Clay Aiken of all people? I don't know. I have to. T- I do have to. Sh- as we're it talking was like about the people cover where it said, <laughs> "Yes, I'm gay," and like everyone's response was like, "Yeah, he's fucking, happy." Yeah, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> We all except, do, except for those forty-year-old moms. I could have all those. Ray Charles could tell you're gay. You know, it is one of those things. I don't know. Yeah, it's you got a very devoted older woman fan base. Uh, it, that's the closest thing I can think of, like for announcing uh, your your sexuality and then losing your fans because of it. I don't know. I think Elton John kind of had the same thing, didn't he? I don't know. Uh, well, it was one I of those things. His, I, I think, think Elton he was John... a bit more open earlier. Well, well. He... He no. also came from a different milieu, right? Like true. in the seventies, rock and roll, like everybody was fucking everybody else. But I also think he was at, he was at a point in his career where he had done so much amazing shit that it was just like we don't give a fuck. You can come up and just be like, "I fucked a horse last week," and we just go, <laughs> "You gave us some amazing music, so we're gonna let that slide." You know, he could have said anything. So I think at that point, in his, I think he did it at a wise point in his career mm-hmm. to where it was just like. You, the man could do no wrong in anybody's eyes because, like, I think I don't know anyone who was just like, "Well, fuck that guy from now on." Those, 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 those amazing songs are, you know, are dead to me. No one did that. Everyone's just like, "Okay." Yeah, that's true. But like, I think the Clay Aiken parallel is the only thing I can think of that's similar to Liberace. No, I think you're right. Good job, you. good job, uh, Liberace. You've lived up to Clay Aiken's status. <laughs> <laughs> What did Matt rate it? Matt, what do you what do you got for this? Oh, great. Um, I will. I, I give it an A, a solid A, not an A plus, uh, because the, I, I think there were a few things, minor problems with pacing, just very minor. Minor um, problems, Matt. <laughs> yes. Um, mostly towards the end, right? Like I thought that the uh, like the. The scenes between them, uh, like it, and their lawyers, were a little weird and just felt off a little bit from the rest of the film uh, tonally. Um, like there wasn't enough of that like bitchiness to the scenes, or yeah, like that. that had been there previously. But uh, no, I, I loved it. I think it's uh, fantastic, and um, yeah, yeah. So. My it's my favorite thing since I saw that uh, that erotic vampire movie the other week. What that I, that I haven't talked about yet, but we'll, we'll get there. Okay, it's it's called Kiss of the Damned, Kiss and uh, it's, it's very much what it sounds like. 
and it's great. I might talk and then in that case, if you want to talk about that next week, I'll talk about a, a movie we bought at DragonCon <laughs> about two years ago. Just based upon the title alone, it's a Japanese film called Killer Pussy. Mm. We'll talk. It's <laughs> the only response you can have to talk. I don't know. That. that was a very intriguing response, Matt. That was like a. That, I interpreted that as, mm, I'm gonna give me some of that. It was, a, like, it was a great DVD cover because, like, you turned it from the side because um, because it, it had, like, the safe cover side and the dangerous <laughs> cover side. So it was, like, on the one side is called Killer Pussy. And what was it called, the other one? Like, I don't remember. I just remember they had graphics it was covering almost up called all like, the naughty bits. It was almost called, like, The Virus or something like that. It wasn't that, but it was something akin to, you know, we're just going to call it this. And then you turn it on the side, it's just, like, Killer Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I have the Killer well, Pussy uh, one facing out. You going to DragonCon this year, Matt? I am going to try to. Yeah, I think we're going to try to as well. We're going to give that a shot, and uh, who knows? Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break right now. That is our review for Behind the Candelabra, Steven Soderbergh's final film. It is on HBO On Demand right now, and I'm sure at some point will be on Blu-ray a little later this year. We're going to take a quick break, come back, talk about a little something we got cooked up for the film find, and uh, maybe talk about what we might do next week, hopefully. Fingers crossed and all that stuff. Stay tuned. everybody welcome back we're gonna close out the show here uh first up i want to talk about uh a screening that we have going on we've mentioned it last week and we kind of keep talking about it and um we still need people to make this happen uh this is an event done through tug.com uh the film find is presenting a screening of stanley kubrick's 2001 a space odyssey uh we still need many many more people to get this if um if you were living in the Charlotte area and you want to see 2001 A Space Odyssey, and why the hell wouldn't you, uh, just go to thefilmfind.com right now, look on the left-hand side of the screen, click Buy Tickets, and you'll be directed right to the page. Go ahead and reserve your tickets. You don't even have to, if you, you know, you don't even have to pay until like the 13th, June 13th. And, uh, but that's what we need, you know, to fill up total, in, in total, 80 spots uh, for this screening. And uh, but just do do that. Tell your friends. Hopefully, I think there's probably going to be fairly uh, you know large uh, kind of surge towards the end there. But uh, we really want to make this happen. Where uh, Matt is, if, if and when this event happens, Matt is coming up from Atlanta to come to this screening. Probably bringing a few people with him. Yep. And uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna make a big deal out of this. We're gonna give away door prizes. Uh, it's gonna be a good time. And uh, so please do that, thefilmfind.com. Look on the left-hand side, click Buy Tickets. It'll bring you right to tug.com, reserve your tickets, and just do that because it's it's going to be good. Why the fuck wouldn't you want to see 2001 on the big screen? That just kind of blows my mind as to why no one no one should not want to see that. 
Um, yeah, and uh, while you're there at thefilmfind.com, go ahead and review us on iTunes. We do have one review on iTunes now, an actual written review. One not submitted by you? One not submitted by me. Okay. It's a, sure. It is a friend of the show, so it's someone that I do know personally. But uh, he's reviewed the show, and uh, and I didn't even ask him personally. That was the nice part. He heard it on the show, and he went and reviewed it. So we have one review. Please let's, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to if I can pull up that review. So we're gonna read that review because uh, we we have uh, promised you fine folks that if you read or if, or if you uh, if you go on uh, iTunes and review us, give us a nice five star review, review us there, and we will actually. Um, We'll, we'll we'll read your review on the air. We'll mention you and uh, whatever you do. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do a favor for this guy. And I'm going to mention his podcast on the show. If I can fucking pull up the damn thing. His podcast is called The Editor's Notes. So go ahead and look that up. If you are a big fantasy football uh, person or, or sports guy or whatever altogether, go uh, look that up. It is... Uh, these guys are... They're, they're cool guys. They're friends of mine. So uh, go ahead and do that. Um... You're going to hear some crazy fucking typing right here because I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to read it. We should have been prepared. Don't be, you know, lazy bastard like we are. Okay, so our first review comes from uh, username NWOGiant33. He's a wrestling fan from way back in the day. I heard NWO and I, I just that's, that's, Picard hey, face these are, my, these are my friends. Oh, this my is a five-star review. The production value is awesome. Great work, guys. Keep it up. So, boom. I've given I've read his review on the air. I've given his podcast a plug. So uh that is that. You need to go and review us on iTunes if you're listening. And if you got this far, God bless you. Keep keep coming back week after week and that's what we that's what we want to do here is uh give you guys something to enjoy. And uh hopefully we do that weekend and damn near week out. So uh that is it for your episode of the Film Find this week. And uh for Matt Smith, Laura McCarricker, I'm Adam Portress, and we will see you next time, guys. When you grow up, you move like a good boy out of And your mama takes a shot to put their son. Something different. Oh, the girls are seeing the like you. Cause you're kissing like a dog in a whole lot.
baby boy. Baby boy. Got, oh, you I remembered his name. <laughs> I'm gonna send. I'm gonna send a private charter out to you tonight. I'll, I'll send you back after the show. Sounds great. And I won't be putting roofies in your drink. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm bisexual, so. Where are those parts? I've never met those parts before. <laughs> this is gonna be. We're just gonna reenact the movie. <laughs> best as memory as we can. Uh, that's next week. You better not be on that gonna, shit, Matt. <laughs> oh, that shit. Not gonna take it anymore. Uh, Holy crap. Alright. Uh, I like when people say they like the graphics. That's my favorite. <laughs> you do. You like that nerd, and you really wants to smack the shit out of them when they say that too. So, <laughs> so be like, yeah, the graphics in that movie are amazing. Really good. Fucking I don't know. I don't know what you're talking taste about. Taste out of your mouth, you fucking rube. <laughs> Can you go back to working on my automobile and shut up? What? About Iron Man to me. <laughs> that Iron Man's good. <laughs> Iron's man's good. You're not I don't even know if they're actually flying around though. I can't tell. I mean, you know, you know that suit. Some of them suits is practical. From what I, I, I don't know what that means, but like I think that means just good. And they, they, they real ones. But you know, I mean, they got the fake ones. There's just there's the ones that's graphics, and there's the ones that's real. <laughs> Hold on, <laughs> and they do them so well. <laughs> You can't, you can't you tell can't the difference. Tell I don't know about you, but when I watched that Iron Man 3, all I could think about was Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> said, they got them rocket boosters in real life. They just don't release them to the public because they'd hurt themselves. Don't, don't you know that? It's just good science. Just good science. Oh, that's a new fan. Huh? A new fan. Liberace, 1978. I didn't appreciate all of the jokes about Liberace. <laughs> I also didn't like how unprepared and how unfucking professional the podcast is. If I didn't have another con this contract for six months, I would be happier. Thank you, iTunes Review, for listening to me. I've never felt so close to anyone, iTunes Review. <laughs> Uh, I would take that if it was five stars. I'd take it. <laughs> That's how desperate I am for reviews. They just call me a piece of shit and just be like five stars. Okay, I'm putting in five stars because they're fabulous, not because that you're good. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed the musical selection. It was um, it was it was very classy. <laughs> classy without being over the top. Oh, well, I thank got, you. That, well, I, I got some. I've got some professional wrestling fandom for you, NWO Giant. <laughs> you you might know my favorite wrestler. His name is Classy Freddie Blassie. I'm more he of a Gold Dust fan too. myself. Gold Dust. He, <laughs> he wore sequins and he was fabulous. Well, Gold Dust actually wore '90s. <laughs> Have you seen ladies lingerie? And do you uh, know he's Dusty Rhodes' son? I'm sure he is proud. Have you seen Hacksaw Jim Duggan without a shirt? <laughs> Glistening. Glistening in the in the stadium lights. 
Thanks for the review, buddy. <laughs> I'll send a charter plane out for you. You can take care of <laughs> You can take care of my dogs. <laughs> There's a guy who has pull at iTunes. He gives us this review. <laughs> we become the best podcast. We've come like number one downloaded podcast. <laughs> you gotta live with this lecher so man. <laughs> Make you famous, kid. I'll make you millions of dollars. You'll be top of the charts. But you got to do some shit that you might not like. 